It is the middle ground between light and shadow, between science and superstition, and it lies between the pit of man's fears and the summit of his knowledge. This is Time Enough Podcast. Hello, welcome to Time Enough Podcast. It's the show where we get deep into episodes of the Twilight Zone and beyond. This is Matt here. Coming back for round three, it's uh, John Champion from Mission Log. Hey. For jumping in. Um, I'm, man, I'm, I'm so glad that you keep having me back. Not only am I glad that I get to keep coming back, I'm glad that you got other people in the Mission Log family to join you every now and then. Yeah, well, I mean, uh, I, I feel like the Twilight Zone is a pretty close cousin to uh, to Star Trek, especially TOS Star Trek. And, well, gee, uh, we have Strange New Worlds on now. Modern Star Trek shares plenty yeah. of blood with it, too. So, uh, hey, did, it, did we talk about this before, that uh, Gene Roddenberry gave the eulogy at Rod Serling's funeral? I can't remember if I mentioned that on this show or not. Before, I think but, I think you did because yeah, I was yeah. about to mention it. So, oh, ah! <laughs> there we go. Um, I, I don't know if I can stump you with any trivia, but I'll, I'll give it a shot for today's episode, which is um, a stop at Willoughby. Um, so and, and I said, well, I was saying just before I hit record that, uh, you know, there's a lot of Twilight Zones I have not seen yet, but this is one I've mm-hmm. seen an awful many times. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, I think in my, my traditional ranking of Twilight Zones, I've kind of thrown this one at like number two. Midnight Sun being number one. Uh, there might be some some disruptions as I get through the show. Um, the obsolete man is certainly uh, rearing its head for that, so we'll see. But sure, sure. As for a stop at Willoughby, uh, Robert Parrish directed this episode. We spoke a little bit more about his career when we discussed one for the Angels, and he'll be back soon enough for the mighty Casey. Um, the script is by Rod Serling, and I'll untrivially call it one of his best. James Daly played Gart Williams. He spent much of his career as a journeyman TV actor before landing a main cast role on the 70s series Medical Center. He also has a part in the original Planet of the Apes as Anarius. I don't quite remember which one that is, but there's a lot of ape makeup, so I think he'll be forgiven. As well as a role as Flint in Star Trek's Requiem for Methuselah. Yeah. Very true. Oh, go ahead. Oh, no, no, no. I, I would say, yeah, he, he's somebody who you, he, it's not that he's, he's not a that guy. He, he's not one of those that guy actors who just shows up in everything. You go, oh, oh, yeah, it, it's that guy. He's a, he's sort of kind of very generic looking and therefore ideal for this role. So he, he you sort of lose him in all those other places. But what you just mentioned, a very iconic uh shows you know uh, between planet of the apes or an episode of star trek you know so yeah he he, he got around as an yeah, actor you, yeah you yeah. make your mark right <laughs> yeah yeah exactly pushy mr misra was played by howard irving smith his career ranged from vaudeville to sitcoms over a oh i wrote 30 by him in a 50 year span with highlights on stage and screen for death of a salesman as well as orson welles radio war of the worlds 
He also played a role in a Wells production tantalizingly named Too Much Johnson. But alas, that has been lost to time. I think it was a Broadway thing. <laughs> wow. Wow. <laughs> Patricia Donahue was Jane Williams. She had that regular Twilight Zone portfolio of TV guest roles, along with a regular stint as Lucy Hamilton in the Michael Shane TV series. Uh, she was married to jazz saxophonist Sam Donahue, who was playing with folks uh, like Woody Herman. Very cool. Didn't know that. The 1960 train conductor was played by Jason Wingreen. He'd later have a recurring role as, a, as the bartender Harry Snowden on All in the Family and Archie Bunker's Place. He was also the voice of Boba Fett and The Empire Strikes Back. Whoa. <laughs> wow. Yeah, that kind of blew my mind. I was like, oh, yeah. that, makes him a, that makes him a poor man, uh, James Earl Jones, I guess. <laughs> yeah, right, right. What is Boba Fett gets, what, three words in that movie? <laughs> That's about it. Yeah. But hey, <laughs> another nice claim to fame, right? Yeah. The, the 1880 train conductor is played by James Maloney. I could find no information on him. So I'm just going to assume that they like got him directly from 1880. You know, there's... <laughs> Those mutton chops are a dead giveaway for like a real life time traveler. So very authentic. Yes. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Okay. It's my button hit in time. I've, I've been told this is the part of the show where I sound like an old man on this computer, especially mm. when things don't go well. But uh, there it goes. I, uh, hopefully you can see all of it. It was kind of it's, it's a long one. So sorry. I'm giving yeah. you a big task today. <laughs> Got it. I love it. You ready? Here we go. This is Gart Williams, age 38. A man protected by a suit of armor, all held together by one bolt. Just a moment ago, someone removed the bolt, and Mr. Williams' protection fell away from him and left him a naked target. He's been cannonaded this afternoon by all the enemies of his life. His insecurity has shelled him. His sensitivity has straddled him with humiliation. His deep-rooted disquiet about his own worth has zeroed in on him, landed on target, and blown him apart. Mr. Gart Williams, ad agency exec, who in just a moment will move into the twilight zone in a desperate search for survival. Willoughby, maybe it's wishful thinking nestled in a hidden part of a man's mind, or maybe it's the last stop in the last design of things. Or perhaps for a man like Mr. Gart Williams, who climbed on a world that went by too fast, it's a place around the bend where he could jump off. Willoughby, whatever it is, it comes with sunlight and serenity and is part of the Twilight Zone. Ah, that's why it's so long. It gave you the outro as well. But I you kind did, of felt like yeah. this one really needed it. Well, I wonder, yeah, I wondered if you wanted that because, you know, it, it's it, this episode is definitely a slow burn. You know, it, it's one of those that we've talked about before where you've got a half an hour to fill. And if, if all you said, like you could sum it up in just a couple of sentences, like all you said, it was just like uh, a, you know, a stressed out ad executive contemplates suicide. I mean, that like th that would really be it. And the, and the twist is just at the end. Oh, and by the way, uh, the, the train stop is his death. That would be it. So really what you have to do in this is you, you have to build the complexity of his life. You have to get all the feelings, all the details of what's going wrong around him. And I think this intro and outro really helped to just 
drive home in, in much, you know, in those beautiful flowery language, flowery language that uh, Rod Serling uses, it really drives home the, the depth of, of who he is and, and the, the situation where we found ourselves visiting him in this episode. Something I like is um, often Rod's kind of on the nose about, you know, if this, this person's a scumbag or not, where this mm, one, yeah, this one doesn't make it clear. And I mean, Gart Williams is already like clutching his chest with heartburn or an impending heart attack, like from the get go. So yeah, yeah. You, you never really know what the, uh, what this guy's metal is, you know, uh, a month yeah. earlier, you know, what, and, and that's something I find myself saying a lot of these shows is like a month earlier. What were they like? What were they doing yesterday? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Right. And uh, particularly when it comes to his wife and his job, which are the, the only real, other real world connections we get for him um how did they meet and fall in love and decide to get married and was she as always so insensitive and awful as she is now and when he walked in to apply for this job that he has was it as awful <laughs> at the time you know uh, because it, it, it's the other characters are painted with some broad strokes because again, you really have to drive home to the audience that like this is the breaking point. This is the day or a few days apart that we're catching this person at the breaking point. But like you said, it it invites all these other questions about what we have not seen on screen. Yeah, although the uh, pinch hitter, I think, really is Mr. Uh, Misra because he just, you know, he just burrows into your brain like from minute one, uh, screaming in your face. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it's so weird. It, it is a little cartoony, almost. I, I, I mean, it, his his bed. I mean, first of all, you you have to love uh, a, a shot that just says so much. You know, a bunch of white guys sitting around a giant boardroom table, smoking and talking about you know, their colleague having a three martini lunch, you know, you, you know, like that, that just tells you everything you need to know, but his, his weird, like push, push, push all the way, all the time. And even over the phone later in the show, you hear him again, push, it has got to be comedy. It has got to be this. And like, this is awful. It is absolutely terrible. He later uses a sentence that includes both Zaz and Moxie, which that's that's an achievement. That really is. <laughs> I, I, yeah, no, no human on their own could really do that. But again, Rod Serling's words, he figured it out. He fit them together. Maybe I was thinking this episode doesn't really have that effects shot. Maybe, maybe the effects shot is the extreme close up on his mouth with spittle coming out. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. Yeah. yeah. By the way, I have to give a shout out anytime that there is a real world connection in a show like this and particularly about food. But I love it that one of the other board members or, or whoever is there in the office, they mentioned to go find their missing colleague at either Sardi's East or at the Colony. Both actual restaurants, long gone. I think they both closed in the 70s. Um, and Sardi's East didn't stay open long at all. The original Sardi's did. Um, but uh, Sardi's East and the Colony, I think both closed in the early 70s. Uh, but they, they were, you know, they're kind of fixtures there for a little while. Definitely the kind of places you might find a, uh, a young businessman taking that long lunch. <laughs> yeah, was it the, uh, the, the rarefied four martini lunch, yes. <laughs> mm -hmm, right? <laughs> exactly. I can't do that. I, you know, I'm good for one, maybe two in the evening if it's a heavy meal, but that's it. Yeah. Otherwise, you got to roll me out of there. 
what did my father call that a around the house we we used to you know either do manhattans or uh, martinis before dinner which i don't know i mm. guess uh uh I, i've said before recently it's just all japanese too high so i feel like a, <laughs> a, a, mart a proper martini would would knock me off my rocker now so right yeah <laughs> Yeah, if I could handle that, I, what I could handle is I was like, dude, this guy's life set because of that decanter he has in his house. Mm -hmm. Like, oh you yeah, got, you're set. You have that decanter. What? You, yeah, who cares about the wife anymore? You're done. You don't need anything else. Yeah, <laughs> um, he does lead a comfortable life, so at least he's getting paid somewhat well. But at what cost? That, of course, is the question in this episode. You know. Yeah. Um, Sorry, I was about to make a point, but I want to save that for for my own oh, question okay. time. I think so. All uh, right, I'll, very good, very good. I'll sit on that for a bit, but uh, mm. oh yeah, I do have Miss Williams makes a better ice queen than Elsa. So. Ooh, good, <laughs> nice. I love those sharp observations. Yeah, she is. Um, yeah, you know, a, a, again for for a show for an episode that is so sensitive and dark and thoughtful about its lead character the other characters are two-dimensional but i think it's okay I, I i think and in this you know again there's a suspension of disbelief that okay we we are getting her at her absolute worst <laughs> even if what we're getting is just sort of filtered through the years of insensitive abuse that uh, gart has taken from her but she's um man th there was this line that that she had in there uh just ripping him apart for being too sensitive and his bleeding heart and it was like wow you're you're awful <laughs> you're truly an awful awful person be a 50s man but uh yeah yeah but but it, it makes it much easier for us as the audience to sympathize for him not just because of the position that he's in with a, in relation to his wife and his boss but but I, I love even him kind of spelling it out uh uh talking about losing himself in the job just like mimicking the actions of the job but not finding himself not being himself in that we get it we we hear it we're like yeah that that is very real and how awful of his wife to not be sensitive to that one bit um just breaking the fourth wall a little bit the uh the, the blu-rays usually have a promo at the end unfortunately <laughs> i think this one was for a uh, steve mcqueen's one and dead or alive but um some of oh. them have the uh, fun-filled family life of the Danny Thomas show. And I was really <laughs> disappointed that this episode didn't, didn't end with that. <laughs> oh, man. Oh, man. Yeah, for, for an episode this dark. And, and by the way, did, did you catch that bit of uh, dialogue in the beginning after he's just gotten harangued by his boss and he, he walks in past the secretary, she asks if he wants anything and it says a sharp razor and a chart of human anatomy showing where all the arteries are <laughs> that is a dark bit of dialogue for <laughs> you know again a show 1960 primetime network tv we're just we're spelling it out and that becomes even darker when you get to the end of the show and you do the rewatch, which of course, you know, you and I are going to do, and hopefully other people in the audience do, because all, all those little moments take on new meaning. They take on a new heaviness and reality for the character. 
I, I guess that's one of the things that makes this episode particularly good for me is there's nothing mm-hmm. there's nothing thrown away. Like you said, that's like a mm-hmm. little throwaway bit of dialogue, but it, there's quite a bit to think about there and uh, quite, you know, some foreshadowing in a way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. They're, they're always it, definitely everything here works to build this puzzle because it is, again, the the final moment, the the final things that happen here, you can just kind of go like, oh, okay, this is what was going on in his head. This is where it has led him. So you have to have all those puzzle pieces and they they have to count. Um, and I think it's part of the, the perfection of Twilight Zone at this stage being a half an hour long because it re- I can't think of any episode that overstays its welcome. You can say that there are episodes where if all you're waiting for is just a twist, it may not be satisfying. But if in waiting for that twist, what you're getting is this very complex character profile, then it is worth it. You know, uh, so they uh, Rod Serling at least really nailed the the efficiency, the use of that time. I guess that gets back to what I was saying with the prologue. Like, um, he, a lot of these episodes use a pretty broad brush to paint the characters, and this one manages some like notable subtleties in that twenty-five minute stand, or uh, yeah. length. So that's pretty yeah. cool. Yeah, yeah. I want to move out of the office, out of out of the mm-hmm. nice mid-century home a bit, and uh, get on the train. Yeah. I, I personally, I spend about you no know, one to two hours a day on trains, um, and wow. I love riding through a blizzard. <laughs> <laughs> Hell yeah. I, I Okay. So I love trains as well. And I, I wish that in LA, we had a, a better train system just to use every day. Like the LA subway is great if it happens to be going where you need it to go. And that is not most places. <laughs> so, um, but I, 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 you know, I, I just came back from London and I pretty much every day I was on a train somewhere, sometimes long distance, sometimes uh, short distance. And I love one of my favorite trips is uh, I've done the LA to Seattle a few times. And that's a long, that's like a day and a half long trip, but it's great because you leave and you're riding by the coast and you, you're seeing the ocean and you're seeing the sunset. And then the next morning you see snow covered mountains and depending on what time of year you're getting snow. And I, I love that as well. I love seeing snow go by as you're just going down the rails. It's cool, man. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. I'll pull down the blinders for the sun, of course, but not for the snow. Come on. No, absolutely <laughs> not. Even a good rainstorm. I mean, that looks great. You know, I remember riding through, uh, it was through like New Mexico, Arizona, might've been New Mexico and just hit like a freak rainstorm. But what was so cool is that it just, the, the, the visibility that you had was massive. So in a couple of spots, the rain would be so heavy that it would kind of obscure it, but then it would kind of open up and you could just see for miles and miles and miles, but see the 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 sheet of rain in front of you and then lightning happening way off almost looked like christmas lights blinking you know so cool yeah so train travel is great people do it yeah, they've uh the, the line i use um one it's kind of funny because i'm it's it actually is my commuter train right um mm-hmm. but sometimes getting off of the station there's like people taking pictures you know because it's some of the trains um i think they've 
they have about three types now and they they in the past couple of years they've had some more modern ones but uh some of them are quite vintage like kind of look actually look pretty much like um Garrett Williams commuter train so that's oh, pretty cool, cool. <laughs> very not, cool not, not the yeah. 1881 the uh the, no 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 but the, 1961. the 1960 yeah so so I, I I get that um I have found I definitely like the little compartment seating rather than the uh, everyone facing each other seating uh yes yeah and, yeah 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 because uh, if you get someone in your compartment yeah they are more in your face but someone's always in your face with the other kind of seating uh yeah this being the mountains, they have somewhere the chairs turn around and everybody faces outside. But those are the the kind of touristy ones. So oh, cool! Yeah, hey, n- nothing wrong with being a tourist in your own uh, your own town or your own country. Why not? We, yeah. we do have it uh, called the Rockamon train, which is kind of like that vintage brown with ha- has some wood panel appointments inside, an expensive dinner car and a, a family car, and and that's oh, cool. actually that feels kind of like Willoughby stopping because when that train. Ooh. Uh, stops at the station i'm i'm waiting for my train and here comes the rakamon they start playing like some like kind of old school japanese music on the speakers they've set up like a couple of like souvenir stands and maybe like handing out tea somewhere and the people kind of get out for a few minutes and it's that is cool then they all get back in and 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 off the train goes um i did ride that one once when my parents were visiting but obviously it's not an everyday thing (laughs) sure sure of course yeah uh, Willoughby itself, uh, mid July is not the time that I want to get off a train for anywhere. <laughs> no, no, you, you would have to have a very specific kind of climate. Uh, you, you have to get really lucky. Um, like, I, one of the things that, um, I was surprised to hear, uh, I was up in Vancouver a couple of years ago and then I had a stop in Victoria, and Victoria and Vancouver are like right across the bay from each other. You know, but uh, Victoria is on this island. Vancouver is, you know, part of the mainland there. Uh, but they're they're an hour away from each other. In Vancouver, it gets very hot and also gets very cold. Uh, but then they said, "Oh, Victoria, just because of its position, because of like being on an island or whatever, like yeah, it's it's pretty much like LA weather all the time." And I'm like, "Oh, okay, I cool, fine, I'll take that." Uh, you know. Uh, Mid-July, perfect. Love it. I'll take that. But we never really get a sense. I I, I guess we can assume that Willoughby is somewhere in the Northeast Corridor, even though I know the the, uh, conductor says there is no Willoughby on the map. But do you feel like the Willoughby in Gart's head is... It, I, I feel like it's an amalgamation of something that he read, something that he, you know, it, he, he dreamed it up, but it also feels like it, it would have to be in the Northeast Corridor. It'd have to be somewhere around an area that he knows, you know? Not quite sure he's a native New Yorker. I was kind of thinking of him. Um, True. Yeah. What, what, what was Walt Disney's town? Mar- Marcy, Marcel? Marceline. Like yeah. Marceline, where they basically, mm-hmm. you know, that's the main street of. Mm-hmm. of disneyland where he's like just he built his own willoughby more or less <laughs> i well I, I had that in my notes yeah because i i was thinking about the power of the nostalgia here but for a nostalgia of a place that gart never was because <clears throat> gart would have had to have been born in like 1921 1922 to be 38 in this although the actor was older and 
certainly looks older than 38, but that, that's what the script says. So, okay, we go with it. Um, so Willoughby being from 1888, he, he was never there. He, he, the, the, this isn't even, you know, an amalgamation of places that he has been. Walt was born in 1901, and he spent a little bit of time in Marceline. But Main Street USA is essentially Marceline, but it's the fantasy version from 1901. So it's even like earlier than than what Walt's sort of consciousness would have had. You know, he it, it's a construct, but it's a lovely construct. Okay, I also I, love I love pointing out that uh, uh, Tomorrowland from the perspective oh wait 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 no yeah yeah uh we are further away from the opening of disneyland than disneyland was from main street usa <laughs> yeah yeah and we we, yeah. we still have our nice retro one in uh in tokyo <laughs> yeah well you do but but here's i mean you know disneyland here is is obviously very retro but but uh, disneyland opened in 1955 so to that audience Main Street USA was 55 years old. There were conceivably people who went to Disneyland in its opening year who would have been children or could have even been in their adult years when that 1901 Main Street was a thing. Now, in 2022, we are further removed from 1955 than 1955 was removed from 1901. I, I think I can dispel yeah. the uh, time element to use a euphemism there. Um, mm, good, good. I like that. Yeah. Let's, good let's Rod Sterling reference. Yeah. Let's put you back in um, Chicago and you're on, on the train there mm -hmm. and you doze off. And then mm -hmm. you hear announcements saying, you know, Chicago World's Fair, Columbian Exposition stop. <laughs> oh, I'm, I'm jumping off. I'm jumping off. Absolutely. There, there you go. Yeah. So yeah. It, it makes sense now. Yeah. Yeah. So, now, some here, here's something I've kind of been actually sitting on for a few months because I've been waiting to bring it up for this cool. episode. Can't wait. Um, is the power of the music possibly, you know, kind of pied pipering him off the train? And um, this is about February, I think. I, I found this video on, on YouTube and it was... Um, okay. I, I first came to Japan in 2004 and I was like, I want to see some footage from them. I found this thing. It was like uh, Japan in the 2000s and you know just like like super nostalgic just just like devastating puts a tear in your eye and it's just mm -hmm. clips from mm -hmm. movies and tv shows and and some actual footage but um i, I watched it a few times and i realized wait a minute it's the music the music is the nostalgia mm -hmm. here you know and then right and then again i'm at the train station the next day and i'm just in my mind looking at people on the other platform and and i start imagining the music in my head same effect you know walking down the street i see some people I just start imagining the music. Same effect. It's not nostalgia. It's the music. <laughs> Interesting. Yeah, that that can absolutely paint the picture for you. Yeah. Yeah. I'm like, I, 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 I get that. It's like, I can't be nostalgic yeah. for what's happening at the second, is it? <laughs> <laughs> but but that's how the nostalgia forms, though, because the, you, you, all those associations come together. And it, 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 it is that moment, but it's also then the moment five years from now, 10 years from now, when you remember that moment or not necessarily remember it, but you construct that moment uh, to, to relive it in your head. So sure. Yeah. yeah. Now, now, now you have that association with that music in that place. Yeah. And, and I guess there's little points in time that you can just like um, totally crystallize in your head. I'm, I'm setting up a podcast uh, to talk about the, the movie contact. And, oh um, yeah. And my mm -hmm. guest was like, um, 
oh yeah, well, this, this is a good year for it. It's it's like 25 years since that movie came out. But <sighs> I formed one of those crystalline memories, uh, having just mm. graduated from high school, sitting in you know the the movie theater just one of those things that you somehow crystallize in your mind i'm like that's not 25 years ago <laughs> right yeah i know i know and, and every year you have to sort of do the reset like oh that was five years ago Ooh, no wait a minute that was more than five years oh wait yeah that thing that was 10 years ago <laughs> you know <laughs> that thing gets worse and worse yeah um Oh, the, the I told you I've been doing some podcasting on the prisoner. So you know, of course, yeah. the village came to mind, especially when the penny farthing bike is rolling in the background. <laughs> yes, yes, yeah, I I do love that, and, and I, you know, it, it it's still very interesting what what the production designers are tapping into that the audience will get then in 1960. And honestly, what we get now too, watching this uh, again in 2022 to say like, oh yeah, that is what the idyllic town looks like from that period. So you have to have all the things there. And I, I love the conductor describing all of these things, you know, the band and the, the fireworks and you see the kids playing out there and it's just all like, uh, even if you don't know it, you know it. And that's kind of the the power of really good storytelling is that you can get across all of those things with such shorthand. I just, yeah, I guess I find it interesting with uh, Gart Williams willing to jump off the train to go to Willoughby where uh, number six is busy yelling at everybody and uh, <laughs> trying to escape a, a big rubber ball. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, you know, uh, Gart could find himself in the same position, uh, you know, spending uh, the, the rest of those final moments uh, being chased by a giant rubber ball and asking uh, who is number one. Yeah, yeah. The, you, know, you, the, the, you are Gart Williams. <laughs> <laughs> uh, what was my other thought? I had a really good thought that just went poof out of my mind. Let's see. We were at Willoughby. We were stopping there. Mm -hmm. We had the village, uh, the music. I, okay. What, what exactly is your Willoughby? Where, what, what is outside that train? I took my guests on the, the 93 World's Fair, but. <laughs> <laughs> that's, uh, that, that's a good one. I mean, see, here's the problem. Like the, the 1893 World's Fair, um, you don't necessarily want to spend all of your time there because it is, it, it is 1893 you are missing many many modern conveniences you could also very easily take a train to like the 1939 world's fair or um the 1964 World's Fair. Like these are all very appealing things, you know, but definitely uh, for me, it would be something like that in an urban environment because I want to check out the city as well. For me, it's not really about the small town Americana. Again, I get the appeal, totally understand why Gart Williams wants that. Uh, but my, my Willoughby would be shaped differently. We have a different energy from uh, the Willoughby that he's looking for. Okay, I'm I'm gonna go for um, early 20th century Luna Park because there's Ooh. almost there's almost no existing. I mean, there's just like a few photos of that, you know. It's yeah. All burnt down like the only yeah. way you would even be able to see what actually was happening there would be to go there. Yeah. Right. Yeah, so, that's very true. Yeah. At least the '93, you know, Chicago's it's well documented for its time. It's well documented. I mean, the the problem with that, like, we benefit from 
the 39 and later that, you know, there's a lot of color footage and, and you can really get a sense of the space. You get a little bit from those interior pavilions. Difficulty with the 1893 is that all those shots were, uh, they were very staged. They were very preset. There aren't a whole lot with people in them because they shot a lot of that before they actually opened the fair. So you just get a sense of these vast spaces. You don't get a real like energetic sense of being in there, like being in one of those buildings or at one of those performances. There's a few photos out there, you know, um, but I, I also really like the idea of uh, stepping out at the 39 fair, because then you have the original opening of the, uh, the very important French restaurant, the Pavillon that, uh, that then closed at the end of the fair, but then all those chefs were like, uh, we're not going back to France. It's 1940. We're going to stay here. And then they opened, reopened the Pavillon in New York city. And it, it stayed an institution for, you know, 30 years more. Um, but yeah, so that uh, definitely food there would be an important draw for the, uh, for the 39. Oh, yeah, for sure. Yeah, I'm thinking Luna Park might not have fantastic food. Mm. I, was Nathan's there yet? I don't you know, know. Yeah, you never know. <laughs> right. I think it was. I, okay. I think actually it was for back then. Yeah. Okay, yeah. we're set. Oh, yeah. yes. Um, I don't know if this is the reason I like the episode so much, but uh, mm-hmm. uh, this is uh, 2002, 2003. I'm driving from Atlanta to um, Maine by myself and end okay. up in a, in a three or four car pileup accident. And um, <laughs> Stamford, Connecticut, which put a hole in the carburetor and killed the car. Yikes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Bits of Bishi Mirage packed with a television and three guitars. Man, so, oh man. I'm just in an uh, I I ended up stuck in a hotel room in Stamford for like three days. Uh but with like my TV and my DVD player and three guitars. So I was having right a jolly old time, Sam Stamford, I guess. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. <laughs> but uh yeah. yeah. I, I put that in my notes early, and then about ten minutes later, he's making the uh, announcement for Stanford. So that 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 was just entertaining <laughs> for me. Very good. Very good. So I thought you were going to say you had that DVD player, and one of those DVDs was the Twilight Zone season one. It so, might have been. To be perfectly be. honest, could be. <laughs> it yeah. might have been. I don't quite remember. Because <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, the, it would have been one of those old volume ones because they had those at the time. <laughs> mm, nice, nice. Okay, um, I guess I'm going to start throwing out those questions then. Uh, the first one being who exactly is going into the Twilight Zone. Mm. Uh, what, what's your pick for that? Yeah, see, uh, this is kind of a weird episode because is, is Gart Williams really experiencing something of the Twilight Zone? And the Twilight Zone is, uh, by design, the sort of vague, nebulous thing, a state of mind, a place, maybe something being acted on uh, by, by something with, with agency, you know, whether it's aliens or, or whatever, or fate. Um, and I, I, I have to think that it... Maybe it's Gart Williams who is going into the Twilight Zone. I also feel like maybe the train is the conduit. The 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 train is like there is something special about that train in particular. Uh that that maybe it just does this, <laughs> you know. Uh that people come on board and they start to have these 
fantasy delusions of um, a better life or something better than than what they have now. So, like a I, I think I, fantasy island. Yeah, yeah, right, <laughs> right, right, exactly. Um, I, I think Gart is, if he's going into the Twilight Zone, it's a pretty short trip. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Well, again, how short is the trip in the last episodes? You're like, when the film projector turns off, does uh, the lady in the 60 millimeter shrine cease to exist, you know? Or, uh, or does she just last forever? Right. So kind of you same know? thing with him. Yeah. He, he might be in, you know, literal hog heaven at this point. <laughs> he, he could be. I mean, I, you know, I have this feeling that um, depending on how you look at this episode, and, and again, that's the beauty of it is you could look at it in, in a number of different ways. But like these fantasy delusions, it, it's like, is that the last moment of life? in in gart williams's brain you know that when in the process of dying when the brain is starved of oxygen and people report literally seeing their life flash before their eyes or a bright light or or whatever it is you know these these similar common things across cultures across beliefs because and it, it can be recreated in a lab this this next to death moment um is that euphoria something that or i won't call it euphoria but that ease that peace is that what's going through his mind which to us on the outside could be a split second but to him that split second lasts and lasts and lasts for this experience of walking out into willoughby maybe for him it does last a lifetime or hours or days or months or however long but for us just seeing this sad body on the side of the tracks it was an instant well um yeah i was just thinking because i was driving back home on sunday actually from that that kendo store you saw a photo of um which oh yeah right on yet we have to go back yeah. yet again to actually pick up the stuff but uh <laughs> good, anyway, good. i'm driving yeah. driving back and there's just you know a little drop off in the road and you just get that split mm -hmm. second of zero g and the, mm, the family yeah. at this point is pretty much an app in the back so i just started thinking about that little moment and i was like well, yeah that was less than a split second but you know yeah. there's a lot to consider in that moment so <laughs> yeah 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 uh, there, there have been experiments done on uh because you know that, that's also a thing in dream state is how long dreams actually last versus what you think they are how long you think they last when you recall them and and the actual dream or dream state can be very short but in your head when you kind of pick it apart unwind it because there are so many elements suddenly seems that much longer you know yeah. and, and and there's something about that like i uh, you, you know the the old saying that time flies when you're having fun well, well there is something true to that that our experience, the way we think about those times. Well, if you're having a good time, you're probably just caught up in the moment. You're not aware then of the moments, but something that is tragic, something that's difficult, something that's a slog to get through may feel longer because it is that much harder for your brain to process. 
I've mentioned before, sometimes I manage a lucid dream and there's been a few times where I know oh, I'm dreaming yeah. and I yeah, also yeah. know I need to go to work. I'm like, this is fun, but I actually need to wake myself <laughs> up and, and get, get down to business. Yeah. 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 Uh, <laughs> so, damn shame. Yeah. Um, for the twilight zone here, I'm actually going to give it to the 1960 train conductor who saw a mm. dude that had been asking him weird questions for the past few days, uh, mm. apparently sleeping on the train, get up and sleepwalk off of the train. <laughs> okay but do, do you think in that case so is the conductor like this guide for mr williams like is he know does he know what's coming no i'm taking this ridiculous like realist approach i, I like your, your mm, thing okay, of okay, conduit, okay. but i'm actually throwing yeah. that out the window for the sake of Good. my my mind Good. my mind video of gart williams sleeping the conductor seeing him stand up and then just sleepwalk off the train uh, yeah, <laughs> which yeah. I, I I've done some sleepwalking too. A few years mm -hmm. ago, I embarrassed myself because I, I walk up the stairs. Um, door to the left is actually my in-laws' room, and it's kind of da -da 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 -da, three in the morning, kind of, yeah. and kind of like realize this isn't the right room. <laughs> <laughs> hey, at least you had that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, my father said when I was a kid, I he was watching Johnny Carson, and I just kind of sleepwalk in and sit on the couch and start trying to watch you know midnight television when i was six years old or something so mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah um, I, I oh and once i tried to use the toilet in the sink <laughs> look we we've all been there there's no judgment here okay yeah yep yep yep, yep. so <laughs> anyway sleepwalking's a thing people <laughs> um the second question is and uh, I, I am going to take your focus on Gart because there's not so much to talk about the train conductor. Um, mm -hmm. Did he deserve it? And I'm not even quite sure what that question means in this case. So take it however you want. <laughs> yeah, that that's a really tough one to ask. Um, and it's a tough one to to try to address because by uh, by by deserve it, you know, I think we're we're sort of trying to figure out is his fate a negative is it a positive is it what he wanted um and back to this old twilight zone the thing about fate you know so many episodes of the twilight zone are about fate just being uh, an unavoidable reality that this will happen to this character it's the context that changes around the 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 actor the event you know and in this the event is his suicide deserve um, is kind of like not that's i guess you know an uncomfortable word to use with that topic so uh yeah I guess I'll, well, well I'll and, and, and by the way let, let, let's also be specific here that we don't know we don't know with 100 percent certainty that what we're talking about here is a suicide because there is a vague enough thing as you just mentioned like what's he sleepwalking off that train now the conductor does say that he said something about will it be people also talk in their sleep so you, you know we we don't know williams's state at that moment that he steps off the train i would go back to the beginning with that line about the the you know human anatomy and, and a guide to the arteries that we are foreshadowing this as a story about suicide that's why and, that line's important because that kind of shows because without that line it really does seem like he doesn't know what he's doing yeah Whereas, right 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 so then here's the thing we we have to assess is his fate in this episode 
something that we are shocked and appalled by, or is it put into a context that we have some understanding and sympathy? And and if his brain's way of dealing with this was that he fantasized this positive outcome for himself, this this happy place for him to be, nobody deserves to go through the kind of torture that it took for him to get there. That, that, that should go without saying, but I felt like I needed to say it. Does he deserve some peace? Yes. I don't think that Premeditating one's own death is necessarily a way to peace. You know, this is we're we're picking apart something here in 2022 from something that was obviously a difficult topic in 1960, and it's still only that much more complex and disturbing and tragic. You know, I mean, maybe that's why I have this version where he's just sleepwalking off the train to sort of like insulate this episode for me a little bit maybe that's why i've watched it so many times yeah because yeah. you know if we are making a conscious decision one i mean what do you do in that situation one you wait five minutes and then yeah. if you still want to kill yourself you call a friend and ask them if it's a good idea or not yeah yeah and you you get help and you you, you use every resource and um, and clearly, this is somebody who is out of those resources, and and a, a, the tragedy of it cannot be underlined enough. Um, at the same time, there is the strange thing that this episode does that sort of tries to reassure you, the audience, that he is happier there. Right. That, he goes off. He yeah. goes off into the the horizon with you know marching band music you know yeah yeah Again, it's, it's the music yeah. what what if they went with the uh you know dark bernard herman opening music at the end instead you know oh right right <laughs> yeah 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 um yeah that that that's so hard to pick apart um I think deserve is a difficult word to use with uh, with any of this. Um, it, it it really just comes down to how can we how can we balance our feeling of sympathy with also kind of a level of understanding, right? Uh, you know, yeah. but uh, yeah, that's that's the thing. I'm like, uh, you know, when I started the podcast, I was like, oh, are these questions too simple? And uh, well, I mm -hmm. guess you know actually they seem to i didn't think about the depth of that word but it seems to actually have a fair amount to it yeah 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 there, there, there's this line uh, on the rewatch again that that really stood out to me where he i think he says to himself or may, maybe he says it as the conductor goes by he says next time i'm going to get off i'm going to get off at willoughby and he it, it, it's this thing where on first glance, if you don't know the outcome of the story, it just feels like here's a guy who's determined to have a better life. Here's right. a guy who's determined to get rid of the, the negative crap in his life that is dragging him down. On the rewatch, it is somebody who is at his total wits end. He cannot cope with the life that he has, and he is talking himself into 
doing what he's about to do. Yeah. Oh, yes. The you know? point when, when, when we brought up the decanter later, I said I, I had a point that I was going to bring up later. So here mm, that is. Yeah, here go ahead. Is. Do it. Lay it on me. So um, I'm going to compare this with Bowley and the big tall wish because Gart has an executive job with probably a pretty good salary. He's got that mid-century uh, century house. He's got that decanter. Yeah. Uh, Bowley's got a bunch of scars and no future. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Boxer, right. Right. So um, right, right. I find the contrast, like that's where the word, I, I guess before we got in there, that's what I was thinking about, deserve. Like mm. he was, he, Bowley ended up with more hope from a much darker place where Gart's living in a place where he should have resources. He should have some right. support. And somehow he got so lost in, in it, he doesn't. Yeah, but that is that no, is that kind of is it kind of his fault for getting that lost in his life? Uh, well, but you know, it, 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 fault is still uh, a very charged word, you know, because again, he, he doesn't deserve his fate. I, I guess is, I'm not looking at his fate so much. At, with yeah. this question is like what he's done in the you know twenty years previous to this. Sure, like, sure, sure. But but in those 20 years, you know, pe people make decisions based on the information they have at the time and and accidental things come along to blow one on or off course. You know, it, it's impossible to even know that e even looking back with perfect hindsight, you don't know. He, he took the job that he thought was the right job to take at the time. He married the woman that he thought was the right woman to marry at the time not knowing, oh, okay, 10 or 20 years from now, I'm going to not have anyone to turn to when I need them. And in fact, they're, the people around me are just going to make it worse. <laughs> you know? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, yeah, I just, that, that came to mind that um, yeah. the situation in the other show, that, that guy had a lot more to complain about, I guess was my my mm, main yeah, 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 yeah. And yeah, he ended up yeah. choosing hope in the end. So, yeah. Well, <laughs> and, and look, this is kind of the interesting subversive thing about a show like The Twilight Zone starting in 1959 is, is that here's a show that features people from all walks of life with all manner of background stories. It does not matter who they are, they're all walking around with some sort of like central tragedy or problem or or something that they have to overcome and many times they don't overcome it they just again they, they get blown in the direction that fate would have them go but here's a guy who to an audience in 1960 looking at it go oh yeah he's a successful guy who's got the right job who's got a wife who's got a nice house who's got everything going for him but even we in an audience in 1960 know that that doesn't just mean that you've got it all figured out. That doesn't just mean that you aren't also walking around without some problem gnawing away at your soul, that, that you haven't found your identity, you can't express your identity in your job and in your life, that you feel trapped and lost. Um, and, and I think that's one of the you see that over and over again with characters in this series, you know, as disconnected as they are, as as much of a short glimpse of them that we get in these half hour chunks. But there's something about that that is so cool and subversive and relatable 
uh, to anybody who's watching it. And again, that's why I think the uh, fun-filled family life of Danny Thomas is becoming like one of my favorite punchlines. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. Just right. Keep, keep following up these. Yeah, it's like we have this like deep, like dark episode of the Twilight Zone. Then Rod mm -hmm. offers you some cigarettes and then we see yep. a sitcom promo. I love it. <laughs> yep. Yep. hundred percent. Yeah. Well, let's put this one on the tripometer somewhere from zero to five. I, I've also started accepting like weird grunts and things as uh, scores. So <laughs> tripometer one to five. I mean, I, I have to give this one a, you know, this is a five commuter trains out of five for me because <laughs> it, it is so it is so rewatchable, even though it is, like I said, a, a slow burn with a single twist, a single moment right at the end. Like we didn't even talk like the, just the very fact that the the coroner's vehicle is, you know, Willoughby and son. Like, yeah, that, that's a twist on top of a twist. We didn't even talk about that because like it doesn't matter. So what, what's so much more interesting is just the internal journey that Gart Williams is going on. and. As I just mentioned, it is a subversive story. It is a tragic story. It is ultimately a relatable thing. And the trippiness aspect of it is that we are left with this completely ambiguous feeling at the end of asking ourselves, is this a better or worse fate than he was already assigned to given the conditions of his life that we know and as we were discussing earlier it is his not that i necessarily believe in such a thing but is his soul now living in this willoughby place that he is designed for himself or was it just this just that fleeting peaceful euphoric moment right before the end that to him seems like a life and to everybody around him seems like this tragic moment. Like this is one of the darker episodes of the twilight zone, but it is also an ambiguous episode of the twilight zone in yeah. that we don't just all walk away just going like, Oh, that was sad that, that he died, that he committed suicide. We don't actually just walk away with that. Yeah, this week's uh, broadcast episode on the podcast is is a nice place to visit. So how how do we mm. know Guard hasn't found himself in the other place? Mm -hmm. <laughs> right? Yeah, we don't. We and I don't. should just uh, shout out um, for that episode. I, I got the feedback that um, apparently Mark and I were talking about the Ted Danson show, The Good Place, without knowing it and without having seen it. So <laughs> that's funny. But see, unlike that episode, though, this show ultimately has sympathy for Gart Williams and it wants us to as well. I don't think that this is a show that then the next scene is him in a you know hellish landscape that he can't escape from. I, I, I think the beauty of this episode is that there are all these dark themes, but ultimately there's this, there's this weird, weird glimmer of something that is respectful and hopeful of him. Yeah. You know? Yeah. They, again, the yeah. nice place to visit with that broad brush. So this yeah, is absolutely. a much more absolutely. detailed one. 
yeah, yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm going to go slightly under you on the tripometer with mm-hmm. a 4.5. Uh, nice. Which, I respect it, that. There's yeah. a lot to think about, but one, there is a lot of darkness. So mm-hmm. um, I don't know. I guess I, 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 I guess if, if people are like doing psychedelics, they have to have their dark time anyway. But, uh, but <laughs> you know, when in the twilight zone, yeah, sometimes a little, you come out feeling just a little bit like, ooh, right? Which is right. the point. I mean, there's nothing wrong with that. But, but for me, that's not quite trippy. Um, and yeah. it, doesn't, it doesn't have the psychedelic money shot, which most episodes seem to have. <laughs> yeah, right, right, right. It makes yeah. up for that by being, you know, amazing and by having just, you know, everything about it's great. It just doesn't quite have that bizarro shot that you get in most Twilight Sense. Well, well that's the thing. This episode has that weird distinction of being very dark, but gentle in a right. way. It, it can be the darkest material and yet gentle in its own way. Oh, and I should mention, because I've already forgotten it again, uh, the 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 hurts willoughby um that one does surprise me every time because i forget about it every time and when you mm-hmm. just brought it up mm-hmm. i'm like oh yeah that happened didn't it? and i don't that like that i don't even remember that in the episode like <laughs> i didn't notice <laughs> right. that point so right. Uh, right yeah i'm that is just kind of like it's more like a zinger i guess than a twist <laughs> yeah right yeah um anything else you want to throw out on on this episode i, I guess it gets us through those questions <laughs> I, yeah, I mean, I, I can't think of anything else to add to that. This is one of those that I think is so worthy of contemplation. Um, it's This isn't one of those Twilight Zones that has to get really weird and sci-fi, but it still manages to deliver just this like emotional punch that I, I, I think is really the, the heart of this one and, um, and revels in its own ambiguous ending. Uh, so I, I respect this episode a lot for that. And I respect it for being able to go to dark places and still be an accessible story. You know, and I do want to say again, we we've made some jokes here about what happens in the episode. Um, and I don't, want any of this to come across that that we're saying like oh what what he did is good and therefore uh his his the end of his problems was fine uh we're talking about something as heavy and serious as suicide um people please use the resources that are available to you to not take that path um we're talking about a show that was made 60 years ago and has its own way to contemplate those ideas Right. But yeah, it's, mm-hmm. it's kind of like this is the crack in the that's what the Twilight Zone was really showing people, the the mm-hmm. crack in the scenes of that, uh, you know, like perfect 50s like media, you know, uh, yeah. pick white picket fence. This is where the cracks start to show. So exactly kind of yeah. have to address this sort of thing that, yes, these people that look rich and have a nice house or, you know, can be quite broken inside. Yeah. Yeah, that that is the the wonderful subversiveness of this show, and, and that's why it lasts. You know, right? Yeah, I've yeah. I've been chomping at the bit to do this episode since I started the podcast. <laughs> I mean, one of the impetus of doing it is I want to talk about this episode. So, sure, <laughs> nice. yeah, yeah, and and of course, there's more, and I found a few, you know, ones that uh, so far that I quite like well. But yeah, this to me, this is basically like. It, it, it's almost like slightly too dark to be like you want to watch a twilight zone watch willoughby but if you're just looking for a quality episode this is a good go-to yeah right 
Right. Well, I guess that's when we when we were first talking, you had sort of said like you felt this one was slightly underrated, I think. Yeah, I mean, I I, I feel like the the Twilight Zone episodes that get all the attention are the ones that kind of stick in the collective consciousness. Uh, it, it, it's Mr. Beavis, uh, you know, it it's it's moments of saying like it's a cookbook. It's moments of time enough at last. It, it, it's stuff like that. But when you have something that is this dark, tragic character story that has this that is playing with this idea of a positive light, uh, it, it's not one that is just easy to sum up in a catchphrase or sum up in in a shocking otherworldly twist. This is something that needs a little more contemplation. And, you know, this isn't the kind of Twilight Zone episode that ends up on merch, <laughs> you know, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Appro appropriately so. Um, but but it is so worth watching that I, I want people to embrace it, rewatch it if they haven't in a while. Um, and I'm just glad that we, you know, had an opportunity to chat about it. Sorry, I uh, one more bit of the gallows humo, uh, humor. Yeah. As you said that, I just saw this box of like the uh, Willoughby train playset. Yeah, <laughs> I would buy it. I would. Yeah, so, yeah. Although, well, yeah. you could actually there's stuff in Japan you could buy that and just call it that if you wanted. So yeah, that's very true. <laughs> very true. You, yeah, can, yeah, you, yeah. Can, you can buy you can buy like any kind of train that's rolling in Japan. They've got various sizes of uh, models and toys for that. So nice. Yeah, they are obsessed nice. with their trains here. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So just well, to make it a I little lighter, that. yeah. Um, give people a quick, I guess, web address where to hear your your Star Trek conversations. Yeah, yeah. I mean, best thing to do is just go to podcast.roddenberry.com because I'm a part of multiple podcasts there. The the kind of flagship show is Mission Log, which we've been doing since 2012, um, analyzing, discussing, examining every episode of Star Trek there is. But there's a lot more there. There's that. There's Trek Files. There's Mission Log The Orville. There's Mission Log Prodigy. There's Sci-Fi 5 for a uh, daily dose of sci-fi. So just check it out, podcast.roddenberry.com, and uh, you're pretty much bound to find something you like. I hope so. As for this one, it's Time Enough Podcast. It's at a Twitter. It's at Facebook. On Patreon, we are Podcastio Podcastius. Uh, we do some other stuff like sci-fi movies, just weird ephemeral films. Uh, there's some video game stuff with Monster Hunter, Pokemon, and the Game Game Show, which is a game show about games. So lots of nice. and, and, and if, if people do want to stop in there we at least put the unedited episodes up like sometimes way ahead of time sometimes a few days ahead of time we record <laughs> these things all out of whack so who knows that's the uh, way to do it yeah so, ironically i'm going to go get on my commuter train but i will get off at the correct station and i'm going to have a fantastic Please. time i've been making a binaural beats on the train recently <laughs> <laughs> oh cool using Very my time cool. productively i have a friend he's like oh, i want my youtube videos you have music i gave him some tracks it's like dude i can actually make things like tailor made for this so uh nice so nice. you 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 I, you know taking a nap on the train i mean yeah that's fine i probably do it twice a year but it's like mm. you know you, if you do it every day you know find a way to make it productive that that, that yeah. that's maybe guard's problem you know you should be reading on the train writing on the train you, there it, you go 
trains a creative place people and not just in the dream world so he, he definitely needs a creative outlet yeah i think we could all agree on that <laughs> in the moment an envelope of glance incorporating universe in all of circumstance it lasts just but a second a tiny tick of mind reflected in an instant thought the soul of all mankind fingers pulse with every breath I or hair swayed by wind removes us from our death years may pass hours a blur of time and space yet sitting in the corner the eternal human race Second, a tiny tick of mind reflected in an 